minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back, Packers fans. Happy Saturday. It is the Pack a Day Podcast. It is your Saturday crew. I am Jason Perrone along with Mark Eckel and Paul Brettel. Mark, happy Saturday. Yes. Happy. Today's the luckiest day of the year, isn't it? No. 7 11. 7 11. Oh, you're right. Wait, no. <laughs> yeah. The luckiest day of the year. Oh, that's why I keep getting confused because it's actually Friday. It's actually 7 10. And I'm like, right. wait. But we're doing it on, when people are listening, it's 7 11. 7 11. My lucky number is 7. Yeah, seven's one of them. 11 is kind of a secondary, I guess. You know, so, okay. Luckiest day of the year. And of course, we're we're on the uh, we're on the mic. Paul Brittle, how are we doing up in Wisconsin? Fantastic! Can't beat summers up here, Jason. Definitely can't. Why did I ever move away? I don't know. <laughs> it is still because of those winters. Because of... yeah, because there's winters too. Yeah, that's true. Well, just to give everyone to know, because we're we're kind of the weather crew, because we love to talk about it. So it's currently 109 degrees here in Scottsdale. Tomorrow is 114. Sunday is 116. And then, guys, we get I get a I get a big break. <laughs> On Monday, it drops all the way down to 111. So uh, that's extreme heat advisory is going on here in the Phoenix locale for sure. But it's a dry. It's a dry, right. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, really insert, insert dry heat. So, all right. Well, we're getting close. The cool thing, we're getting close to training camp, at least what is supposed to be training camp. There seems to be updates every single day. So I know every week when we sign off, we kind of talk about how there may be more tangible news to discuss there hasn't really been anything big big that's come out but what we're going to talk about today we're a couple of training camp battles that we each have chosen that we want to highlight and discuss so this should be a fun one as we're gearing up for these to actually start happening i don't know about you guys i don't even care if it's not real real it's the same thing every year but especially this year because sports has been so non-existent for three months i i am just looking forward to like the constant refresh of whatever I don't know, whatever information we can from camp. But now, what is what is the situation with, um, I know no fans, but what's the situation with media? Does anyone know? Last I saw, they were limiting the number of reporters that were going to be there, which if that is the case, that's that's a shame because, you know, that's a lot of, lot of insight that's going to be lost because, I mean, think about whether you have five guys or 20 guys, everyone's looking at something different that's going on on the field because there's a ton of things going on at one time everyone has a different perspective and so for us the fans that's just a lot of you know when we might not have that same insight that we usually do yeah and then mark Wait, how do you how loose. do they i mean how do they handle that when you're you've got you know eight reporters that all have jobs to do and you're like well only five of you can come in I, I, that's going to be very interesting and from what i'm from what i've read and from what t- talking to some of my friends that that still still cover um Apparently, there's tiers. There's going to be different tiers of media, um, and, I, and I think it's going to rotate. So it's not like I don't know. Depending on the team, I guess like so many will get in one day, and they'll be in tier one, which means that's like tier one. I guess is like it used to be. You can cover it. You know, you you're covering the way you used to. Um, tier two, I think you're there. You're allowed to be there, but like you're not. You're not going to interview anybody. You're not. It's weird. The whole thing's up there. I don't, it doesn't. A lot of it doesn't make sense to me. Um, they're also, from what I'm told, there'll be no like live tweeting during practice. Um, which I never did anyway. But I, and I'm 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 not a big. You know, I'm old, so I don't 
<laughs> I don't care about Twitter. I really don't. I, I think I think it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the world is stuff like Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Well, the, the one me. thing, the one time, if, even if you're not a user of it, I mean, you get you get the information so quick. I mean, Paul, I think you were on Twitter a fair amount. Did you find that to be the case in a normal training camp situation where, like, you might be at work or whatever, but you're just constantly refreshing because you want to see who made the last play and who's who's a big, you know, name that day? Yeah, heck yeah. There's, you know, there's always updates. And Andy... Herman, I went to a few practices with him last year, and man, he's just fantastic of you know, firing off tweets of everything that's going on at one time. So if you're not there, he, he gives a, a play-by-play, you know. Is it so hard to wait till the end rep. of the day and read read a story about it? Yes, we really need it. That instant, you need that instant gratification. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. You can't wait. Till, you <laughs> just can't wait to, until that, that that two-hour practice is over, huh? I didn't make the cut. Yeah, I did. I didn't make the cutoff to be a true what they're referring to as a millennial. Um, if Jacob Westendorf is listening to this show, he's making an old man joke right now, or he's laughing. But I still act like one in that I do. Mark, I need that instant gratification. I have become a total victim of this technology era that we live in, and yeah, I I do. I want to because. We're all itching. I think it's more because it's I'm just. Change. But see, here's the thing. So, and it, we we could do the whole show on 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 this. <laughs> so, all right. So you're, we're we're all Packer fans, and we're right. and we're and we're glued to Twitter on day three of training camp. And you read, so bang, a tweet comes out. Kay Kumar just made a great catch. Wow. Okay, Kumar. Oh, wow. That's good. Kumar made. It. Then Kumar just dropped an easy pass. Then Kumar did like. Just, I'd rather just wait to the end of the day and say, yeah, you know, Kumarel had a okay day. I mean, I don't need to know every catch or drop he made until, I don't know. Again, I'm a lot older than you guys, and I'd just rather, I'm a, I'm a reporter. I, I, I like to wait and, and get a big picture view of what happened in practice, not a every minute update. Well, That's then we can't get it. Yeah, but, the, yep, but then we can't figure out who our Oneida all-star candidates are going to be because you know we vote on those we vote on the court of public opinion votes on those every single day and then come the end of training camp when that person doesn't make the roster and we're all banging our heads on the wall like what i mean you do you remember that do you remember the summer of tory Gurley and deandre burrell in 2011 holy cow it was insane they were both going to take over the world we were going to be able to cut you know James Jones and maybe <laughs> let Greg Jennings go because these two were going to come in and take over and oh Darius Shepard last year. no mm-hmm. yeah. anyway. there's always a few all you right know, well guys I used to call him Mister August yeah <laughs> all right well that's that's a good yeah as soon as you mentioned Darius Shepard I'm uh, end uh, we've segued ourselves back into our topic here so he made the team ahead of Alan Lazard I know I'll just, just so many. <laughs> If you want to, if you want to, when we, when we look back after the Brian Gutekunst tenure is over, and I hope that's you know many many years from now, it would be amazing if his biggest four leaf clover of his entire career as GM was getting Lazard back after cutting him and him clearing waivers. I don't know. Well, you know who else they did that with years ago? I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you two guys that they did that with. Kabir Bob Biamala, KGB, uh-huh. he was cut as a rookie, put on a practice squad, so anybody could have had him. And then and they they brought him up midway through that year, and he became like you know what it, what was he second or third on the team in all time sacks. 
Yeah. And, um, and Hasselback was also cut. Now, he didn't. He never did anything for the Packers per se, but he became a very good starting quarterback in the league and a guy that Packers were able to tr- able to trade and get. Well, it turned out they got a bad player for him, but they got a high pick and just turned into a bad player. But um, yeah, so there's you know there's there's history of of good players being cut, and any other team could have picked them up and. They did, and they they wound up back with their team. Now, a lot of times there's, I, I noticed from from covering the Eagles, there's like handshake, wink, wink deals where like, listen, we have to cut you because we're doing this. You know, we're going to bring you back. Don't worry. Don't you know? Don't answer your phone, please. Don't answer your phone. We're not going to somebody. You know, don't sign with anybody else. We're going to bring you back, but we have to do it right now because of injury somewhere else. Whatever, whatever the case might might be. Um, so that stuff does, but I don't think that was the case with with Lazard. That definitely wasn't the case. No, and I, I maintain with with Hasselbeck. I know he did a lot with Seattle, but I still maintain his best game ever was at Lambeau Field, and that was the 2003 Wild Card Playoff game. So, um, moving right along, <laughs> moving right along. Training camp battles, Paul. We're going to start with you. I'll let you introduce the battle at hand, and then we'll kind of discuss it. We each have one. All three of these should be pretty good. So, Mr. Brettel, without any further ado, take it away. All right. So, I like to think this one might be a little bit under the radar, and it's Lane Taylor versus Billy Turner for right guard one. reason I say it might be a little bit under the radar, I feel like there's the assumption that Lane Taylor is here to be a backup, and that very well could be the case. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, and I think this summer he's going he's gonna to push Billy Turner. So, last year... Taylor was out most of the year with an injury, but I think what's what's been forgotten is how well he played uh, the few years before that. So between 2016 and 17, he had nearly 1,500 pass blocking attempts and gave up just four sacks and four quarterback hits. 2018, we saw him take a step back, but whether you look at pro football focus metrics or Andy's um, grading system that he uses over at Packer Report, Taylor's 2018 season was still... Um, by those metrics, better than what Billy Turner did last season for the Packers. So Taylor in 2018 gave up eight sacks, five hits, 36 total pressures. Billy Turner in 2019 gave up nine sacks, six hits, and 52 total pressures. Um, By looking at Andy's grading scale, he had, so zero is considered average. Um, Lane Taylor's 2018 season, he was plus 6.4. Billy Turner was minus 5.85 in 2019. So that's a difference of over 12 points. And, I mean, if we look at, like, Preston Smith and Andy's scale, he was plus 10.4. So not comparing that Lane Taylor is going to have a Preston Smith-type impact, but that's the type of gap that was between Lane Taylor in 2018 and Billy Turner in 2019. Now, there's question marks. Like I said, Taylor missed just about all last year. How is he going to bounce back? And there's also the money, which I do think comes into play. Billy Turner's cap hit is $8.1 million. Taylor's is a little over, I think it's around $2.5 million. Now, in the grand scheme of things, I hope that's not the deciding factor, and I don't think it would be. If Taylor's the better player, he should be starting. So I've said all that to say I think that he's going to push Turner this summer for that starting right guard spot. I, And we've kind of talked about it. I hope that that happens. If it does, that's the best-case scenario for the Packers because there's other question marks on the offensive line. We don't know how right tackle is exactly going to look. I mean, Rick Wagner is penciled in there, but 
Billy Turner might be a break glass, you know, break the glass in case of emergency situation at right tackle. I know that there's a lot of opinions on how that could also not necessarily be ideal, but yeah, I ha- if this turns into a battle, this this ends up being not just a good one, but a very important one. Mark, I think you'd agree. We I know we've talked about the the right side of the offensive line several times. Oh, this is a very – I don't think it's under the radar. That's the one thing I, I disagree with you, Paul. I don't think this is under the radar. I think it's a real battle. Um, and you pointed out, I mean, I think – I you know, I think Lane Taylor is a better player than, than, than Billy Turner. Just my, I'm not those, – those numbers that you that you said, you know, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't have those. But I just know from watching what, I, what, what I've seen, my, my eyes tell me I think Lane Taylor is a better guard. Um, now – you're right. He did miss most of last year. Now, will it take him time to get that, get back in the in the form? We'll see. That's what that's what camp's all about. Um, and and don't you know? I would not be the least bit surprised if Lane Taylor is the starter. I mean, he, like I said, I think he's. I just think he's a better player. Now, like you said, the money is a factor, and also Lane Taylor is a guy that's been inherited. It. He's a he's a Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy guy. Turner is this regime's guy. He was signed by by Goody and 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 Lafleur, so he's more their guy. Um, it would be a, a, a if Taylor were to beat him out, it would be kind of a I don't know, you know, not a knock on their free agent additions, but you know, why go out and give this guy some money when you had him when you had Taylor here, but. As they turned out last year, they, they kind of needed it. I mean, Taylor was starting last year. Mm-hmm. Before injury. I mean, it was only a matter of time between Elton and people. But I wonder now. I often wonder that. If Jenkins was going to get into the lineup, right? And I mean, they, they didn't take him where they took him to, to be a backup guard. I mean, they wanted him to play as soon as possible. But if Taylor didn't get hurt and played at his, at his 2018 level, I wonder if Jenkins wouldn't have taken over at right guard for Turner or fight or just move Taylor to right guard and put, you know what I'm saying? I just wonder if, if Turner would have been the odd man out last year, if Taylor had, had, had stayed healthy. I think for the reasons that you, you know, the money that I talked about, but also like you said, you know, Taylor's Thompson's guy, Turner's Goody's guy. And that, that does play a role in, you know, for all NFL teams, whether it might not be a big one, but I think that it's there. So I think for Taylor to take the job, he's going to have to he's going to have to win it convincingly. I think if it's close, they're going to default to Billy Turner. But one other thing I just wanted to add: one of the like underrated moves this offseason was how the Packers restructured Taylor's deal. Yeah. I mean, I for one, I know Mark, you've said, I think Jason, you agree as well. I think we all thought Lane Taylor was going to be gone at some point this offseason. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. To save that cap space. Yep. So they end up saving the cap space and keeping him on the roster with that restructure. However, they were able to, you know, maneuver that with him in the negotiation. We don't know, but the the outcome was it was brilliant being able to do that and keep him here. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Paul, since, since you probably have had the numbers since you, you, you looked this up. I know Tur- Turner's cap number jumps to $8 million. What's the debt? Like, if they were to cut him, would they lose money or save money under the cap? I don't have it exactly. I'll this it year up. they would. This year they would lose money, but okay. next next year, next off season, they can get out of his deal and save a yeah. few million bucks. Well, next year, I don't. Unless he has a terrific. I mean, first of all, he has to win the job. If he wins the job and has a has a, a terrific season, then yeah, he'll probably be be back in twenty one. But 
All well, signs point to him not being around. The fact that they drafted a couple guards and they have, uh, yeah, all signs point to Turner not being around. He'll be yeah, on the team this year. So, th- so this yeah. year he's this year his cap hits eighty one uh, eight point one million. His dead cap though is nine point seven five million. Yeah, they're not going to lose one six to cut him. No, that makes no sense. And then, ne- but next year, you know, next year eight million dollar cap hit, but they only they're only down four and a half on dead, and then the, and then in twenty two they're only down two point two. He's, he's, yeah, so he's making eight million a year money. for the next three years, pretty steadily. Right, and they're and, and that money that they save could could go toward keeping a Kenny King or an Aaron Jones. Right, and they just and especially with just selecting like John Runyon and right. um, Simon Stepaniak. Yep. Stepaniak. Um, yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah, Turner's really going to have to turn it around and get back to his 2018 Denver form if. Uh, I think if he's going to be back next season, but for now, I think him and Taylor is going to be a good battle this summer. And listen, if Turner wins it, good. I mean, that means he played pretty well, you know, to win the job. And then, then the Packers have a pretty solid backup in in Taylor. Yeah, competition's never a bad thing. <laughs> no, no. Well, and and, 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 and and good depth is never a bad thing either. Well, and that's what he is. And I mean, 2016, he was a solid part of the starting offensive line, and they had a really good season that year. So, I mean, it, he's he's more than just a security blanket or depth. I mean, he's quality depth if you think about it. As long as he's healthy and he plays, you know, he plays well. You know, they re, they didn't restructure his deal as we've said several times. They didn't restructure his deal to send him off and cut him. So, if, I mean, if he's getting cut, something went very sideways. But I think uh, I think he's going to be. I think that battle will will help the offensive line and as, as far as the Jenkins things goes Mark to your point you have that that's where I think we're still getting a feel for how how well does practice performance make a difference in the Matt LaFleur era because I know that it seemed to take a long time in the McCarthy era for some of the young guys to get on the field because he was all about seniority at, at, at least at first in training camp you know the, the, the starters start and the rookies work their way in and I I it seems like Matt LaFleur is a little more like, look, I mean, I, I would have had to have thought that if Elton Jenkins was as good as he was in games, he would have shown very well in practice and he would have had, the coaches would have had a huge quandary with what to do with him had Lane Taylor not gotten hurt is my take. That's my thought. But Mark, you've got to, we're going to move to the, actually we're staying on the offensive side of the ball for years. So Mark, you've got, you've got another good one. This is one that uh, position that's been talked about quite a bit. By many, many, but in this particular battle has its own spin. Yeah, my mine is wide receiver, and it, it's I think it's everybody not named Devontae Adams battling for the spot opposite Devontae Adams, and Alan Lazard's the favorite going into camp. But as we as we talked about before we got into this, he was cut last year, um, and he, listen, he came back, great story, had a had a fine season, but I think he got. Lazard, you got Funches, you got St. Brown, you still got Valdez Scantling. Don't, don't. I mean, a lot of people have, have forgotten about him. He, he did, you know, he did tail off dramatically last year, but I think injury might have something to uh, do with that. So I think you have four, four guys, and I mean, I could throw in Kumarel and and Big Elton too, but I don't. I really don't think they're. I think they're battling for the to make the team. To be honest, I think those those two will battle for the for the, the, the final spot. I, but I think the other four: Lazard, is it Funches, um, St. Brown, and uh, Valdez Gantling, 
are battling for that number two and and then three spots, two and three will come out of that out of that foursome, and they all have their strengths. They all have have their weaknesses. Um, I I kind of think Sam Brown might be the sneaky underdog to win that 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 job as as number two. I don't know. I how really s- do. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, Paul, I'll let you take this first because you said it. You said it well earlier. I don't think EQ is really that sneaky. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't think it's all that sneaky. Well, yeah, not us. I'm saying like to the general. Sure. Well, maybe not. Maybe the general public's on on it as as well. But I mean, everyone thinks it's it's Lazard, right? I mean, that's and it might be. It very well might be. And it, and it you know, I wouldn't be upset if it is because he that would mean he's he's playing well. But, but I just think it's going to be – and it could be one of those – like, it's not like guard where the winner is going to play and the other one's going to be a backup. It could be – you know, they could all share. I mean, it, it, it could be on, you know, down in distance, what the, depending on the score of the game, depending on where they are, you know, where they are on the field. You know, do they want the, you know, speed at a certain time or do they want the big, strong guy, you know – there's a lot of factors that can go into this, but I think it's going to be fascinating, and I can't wait to read those tweets, you know, every minute to find out which wide receiver is playing better. <laughs> It'll be like an up-to-the-minute update of who's the two, three, four, and five guy. <laughs> well, two years ago, to that effect, two years ago, the reason why I got so excited about EQ was that he was he caught a lot of buzz in training camp when he was. A lot of videos were posted of him, double moves, and Rogers hitting them, and it's like, okay, if Rogers is looking for him in practice. That's the first step. There's steps to succeeding as a receiver with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. But I will tell you this. I'm just looking at a, a list of, the, of all the receivers that are on the roster right now, and it just seems like if you've got a number below 20, you're in pretty good shape. All of the guys that are producing really well are below 20. Devontae, Kumaro, EQ, even Funchess was like, okay, I gotta, he took 11 because he's like, I got I to gotta be under 20. Lazard, 13. And then... MVS is guy. He's up against it because he's number eighty-three. Reggie Begleton's trying to make the team. He picked number eighty-four. Now eighty-four is is a very very um, pretty good you know, number. A lot of mystique. A lot of a lot of mystique. Absolutely. But when did that happen? By the way, when did the? I mean, back in the day. And again, I'm going to show that I'm I'm a really old guy. But wide receivers only wore eights. Two thousands. You know, starting in the two thousands. Yeah. Why did he just was it? I'm Why trying to. I'm trying Why to remember. I mean, I'm trying to remember who was the first low-numbered wide receiver that either made the Hall of Fame or had like a rock star career that kind of started the trend of okay, it's cool to do this. Because you're right. I mean, and even Paul, when you first started watching too. I mean, Mark and I go back to the '80s, but it was like it was between eighty. Well, but it was between <laughs> it was between eighty and eighty-nine, and yeah, that's what it all was. Great, all, I mean, they had to. It was. The 11s and 16s, and they weren't—they were quarterbacks still. Yeah. They weren't—they weren't receivers. And, right. I, and again, I don't think it matters, you know. But it just—it all of a sudden changed, and and like great receivers are wearing low numbers now too. It's not just like backups. Of the of these guys who are competing for you know those two three spots, um, Funches is one that I'm really intrigued by. He was hurt last season, but in 2017 he had, I think, like 850 yards, eight touchdowns. Like that's that's not nothing. That's certainly not no. nothing. And then in 2018, his last season with Carolina, it dipped, but he was still around the 600 yard mark. You know, that would have been Green Bay's number two receiver last year. So I'm really curious to see where he fits in. He has Brown, the highest pedigree as 
well as a second round pick. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, St. Brown as well. And once again, it's one of those, how is he going to rebound after missing a full season? But he's got QB1 in his corner, and we know how important that is here in Green Bay. And then during his rookie season, he flashed with some big plays, had six, almost 16 yards per catch. And I just want, and to Jake Kumro, you know, I love this story as well. Went to UW-Whitewater D3 school here in Wisconsin. But he's the oldest receiver on the team. And what I really look at was last year, even with all the, the ups and downs, the, the underwhelming performances at the receiver position, he still struggled to get on the field. So at, at this point, we know who he is, and I think he's just, like you said, Mark, he's going to be battling for a roster so spot. Yeah. And I, I don't know. At this point, I'm not that confident that he's going to be – that he's going to make it. That is scaling still – and, I, and, I, and like I said, I know a lot of people are down on him because he kind of disappeared. But, you know, look up a couple of the games that he did have. He had some pretty impressive performances. Yeah, I got and it. Actually, I was going to say, Raider I got it right game. here. For Through the first seven games, he had almost 20 yards per catch last season with two touchdowns. I mean, that's some big play. Yeah, I mean, he's the – he, and again, that's why I think, even though I said it's a battle, I mean, I think it's, they're, they're going to use guys – they're all going to – be on the field at, at of the four that, that we talked about. I think they're all going to have a role, and MVS is going to be your home run hitter. He's going to he's going to run the you know the deep post. He's going to run the nine, and you know if it's there, you know when when a guy jumps offside when when Rogers draws the defense off offsides, he's going to go deep for MVS and see if it happens, right? Yeah. Well, you hope. I mean. At- MVS started out okay last year. Everyone, it was a bust season for him, and everyone says, "Oh, he, he dropped off." He was okay at the beginning of the season, but yeah. for the last the last eight games of the season, I mean, he, I don't even know if he caught ten balls. He didn't, uh, and, and he didn't play at all. Like he, yeah, he was, his snap his, count his just went, went down. And it just seems like, like he was one of those situations where, you know, there was an injury that maybe wasn't keeping him off the right. field but it also wasn't helping him be everything that he could be so it's like we didn't know about it but there was it could be one of those things where years later you know he's doing an obscure interview after he's done playing and he when they ask him about that drop off he's like oh well you know i had plantar fasciitis in my foot or something like that you know it just no i i think there's i think there was something there i think there was it like like you said it wasn't a bad enough injury to put him on injury reserve or even to, to rule him out for a game but it was and again, when, when you're a speed receiver and it's if, if it's a lower leg injury, that that takes some things away from you. And yep. then I think it got a little mental with him too. I think you know, he had a couple drops and or you know, a couple things and it kinda just got to him and then the quarterback lost confidence in him a little bit and it all kinda snowballed on him. But but there's I mean there's obvious talent and ability there. Because we've seen it. Yeah, and he and he just kind of it was almost like uh, in baseball, you hear about it a lot. A case of the yips. Yeah. I mean that yeah. that opening play in, against Chicago late in the season was just a classic case of like he had to have been overthinking it. You know that that game, the complexion of it could have changed very quickly and easily had he made that play because he made it against the Broncos. Again, earlier in the season, it was like it was it was two different players. There was you know it was Jekyll and Hyde type of of a deal. I mean he finished. He finished ranked and from I got into pro football focus here. MVS finished ranked 103rd out of 122 wide receivers, but when he started out the season, I guarantee you he was on a trajectory to be in that top 80 or better. Maybe higher, yeah. 
I mean, he just he just did not. Fit. And and then by contrast, Lazard only played half the snaps. But if you think about it, he didn't really start playing until mid October. You know, if you figure his season really didn't even start till mid October, he played half the snaps and he finished fifty eighth of one hundred and twenty two receivers. So I'm I'm not as worried about the receiver position as a whole as I think most are. I mean, oh, they I'm have they either. have they have Devonte Adams first off, and right. I think that the guys that we've went through, there's enough. There's enough talent there, and they've all all these guys, MVS, EQ, Funchess, Lazard, they've all produced at the NFL level. They've all had their moments, obviously some more than others, but they've all had those moments. They're not total unknowns, and it's just harnessing that into more consistency. But also in Lafleur's offense, the Packers have a ton of pass catchers. There's those five. There's Jones, Williams, Dylan out of the backfield. There's DeGora, Tanya, and Sternberger at tight end. I mean, they have 11 you know, Tyler Irvin, they have 11, 12 pass catchers that they can be rotating in and out constantly. So what, you know, whether all those yards go to the, you know, the receiver position, like it's quote unquote supposed to probably not, but I think they have plenty of options and talent to, to be effective this year. Uh, no, I, I agree. I think, I think I, I wasn't one of the people yelling and, and screaming after the draft that, you know, why didn't they take a wide receiver? I mean, I think the way the draft fell, there wasn't there wasn't one worth taking in it when when they were on the board. It really wasn't. I think you know the first round, they all the ones they liked went. I think they liked a couple in the second, but they also went. And you know, there's no reason to reach for a guy. You know, and then by and by the third fourth round, like and I agree 100. percent There wasn't anybody worth taking better than what you already had. We know that now. And they are young. That's everything. To the Packers, as you said. Coom Rousey oldest and what's he twenty seven? I think he's twenty eight. Twenty eight. Okay. So that's I mean that, that's a that's a young group of wide receivers the Packers have. Yeah, it is. And I think now everybody would agree with you, Mark, that there wasn't a wide receiver worth taking because it, it and I say that because they obviously weren't planning on taking one in the first round. If you take a first round receiver, he better unseat one of the guys that are currently on the roster. But better, yeah. they obviously had different plans. You know, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall to know what their, you know, options, true option, one, two, three, four, five, one through ten were. But it wasn't going to be a wide receiver. And if you're not going to pick a wide receiver, and again, they were picking late in the round two, then you've got to go with somebody who's going to make the impact. And, and so they did what they did. But now I, th- I think we'd agree. I mean, these, these guys, Funches coming in is, you know, Funches is only 26 years old. So yeah, he, no, he's young. He's not going to light the world on fire, but he could become a very steady presence for late in the season when you need a little bit of experience when the lights become brighter and you're hopefully big, contending big for a division title. Too. Yeah. Yep. Exactly, yeah. Paul. He's a good red zone. And, that, and the Packers have had some problems in a red zone. Yeah, and here's the thing Funches and Lazard are about the same size. Actually, Lazard's an inch taller. Lazard's 6'5, 227. Funches, 6'4, 225. Those are, those are some big They're targets. Big, those are some good yeah. targets for uh, Rodgers. Well, St. Brown's not little. Receivers. What do they list St. Brown as? Uh, EQ is 6'5", 214, so he's he's skinnier. <laughs> but he's 6'5". Yep. The Packers have big receivers. Their size is not a is not an issue at, at the Packer wide receiver spot. Getting back to what you said about the draft, if I could ask – if I could ask the Packers or, you know, I guess Goody or whoever, a question, and he has to give me an honest answer. My question to him would be, if if Jordan Love, if the Patriots or whoever would have taken Jordan Love, who would you have taken in the first round? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, I have no idea what his answer would would be, but I wonder if it, I wonder if they wouldn't have. You don't think it would have been a wide receiver, huh? I man, your guess is because I don't. I think I've said it before too. I I haven't seen enough. We've got three drafts with Brian Gutekunst. I still don't think I've seen enough or we've seen enough to know, like, how long did it take us before we kind of figured out more of Ted's M.O.? And he still surprised us once in a while. Yeah. Are we, well, I don't think there's been a – I mean, I thought I had him a little bit figured out, and then this draft blew me blew it out of the water because I thought he only takes big college guys. You know, because his first two, I mean, it was SEC, Big Ten, you know, basically. And a couple of, and a couple of ACCs, but but mostly, I mean, it was a lot of Big Ten and some, you know, and you know, major colleges. And then he takes a guy from from Utah State in the first round, and follows it up with a kid from Cincinnati in the in the, in the third round. So I mean, that didn't that didn't hold water, right? Right. Well, that'll be an interesting one. The receiver one; these have these have been good. I'm gonna represent the defense with mine. So mine is the battle for the nickel corner spot. So right now the way I've got it listed is Chandon Sullivan versus the field for nickel corner because Sullivan has been kind of penciled in as the the guy that should take on that role assuming the Packers aren't going to bring Tremont Williams back because they have not signed him and he is still out there. So it looks like the Packers may be deciding that Chandon Sullivan may be a version of the next Tremont Williams from 10 years ago. Tremont is also an undrafted free agent corner. They got very fortunate with him. They had another one on their very same Super Bowl team. Sam Shields was another undrafted free agent corner. He was a former wide receiver, converted to corner. So they've they've obviously been able to, to do this in the past. And Sullivan looked pretty good at times last season. He had some struggles, but he's... You know, he played about a third of the snaps on defense, which makes sense because he was essentially the dime corner and they ran a bunch of different sub packages. So he didn't have as many snaps, but he performed well. He had the good game against the Cowboys. He recently spoke with Peter Bukowski on Locked On Packers. Sounds like a guy who, um, and, you know, Mark, I don't know what you know about Sullivan from any of his time with the with the Eagles because that was recent. But he gets cut by the Eagles, and I think that was something where he realized, okay, this job's not guaranteed. It's not going to come easy. He knows that he's got to come in prepared to play physically, to study mentally and, and understand the defensive scheme. He's got some experience to maximize on this second chance that he has uh, right now. But... He's, I mean, if you look at the competition that he's going to face, because obviously Kevin King and Jair Alexander are your your outside corners right now as it currently stands, you've got Kadar Holman, Josh Jackson. I should have probably listed Jackson first because Jackson's just be his third season and he was a second-round pick. But you've got Kadar Holman, Josh Jackson, and then quite a few outsiders in Deshaun Amos, Kavion Ento, Stanford Samuels, who we've talked about a little bit that, you know, could end up making some noise, Will Sutherland and Henry Black. Not names that we're overly familiar with, right? So to me, it just seems like, you know, unless Josh Jackson has a resurgence, Shannon Sullivan should jump up and and take this this role. Now, I'm 
I'm cautiously optimistic. He is a former undrafted free agent. There's a reason why guys don't get drafted, but sometimes teams miss. You know, teams just completely miss. And and Mark, I guess I should turn it over to you. Have you had any conversations with any of your your former colleagues about Sullivan, or was that after you left and you really haven't had many? No, that was after I left. I mean, I, I watched them um, a little bit, but I mean, I'm. It was. It's not like the Eagles are so talented in the secondary that, you know, for him to get cut by a team that kind of needs, needs, needs help there, uh, was kind of surprising. Uh, I mean, when the Packers signed him last year, no one, I don't think anybody thought they, I, you know, he was going to make an impact. I think it was like, a, all right, they're signing a guy to bring to camp, you know, just to fill out the roster kind of thing. But he, no, he played extremely well. Um, he's the guy. I mean, he'll, if, if, I mean, like he's Jackson, I don't know. I, I loved him in Iowa. I thought he was going to be a really good player. I don't know what's happened there. You know what's interesting? Um, He's listed as a safety. Pro Football Focus has him listed as a safety, and I don't know how many know snaps he played at safety last season, but that's where they've got him listed. Well, the Green Bay Packers don't, so I, I don't, I don't <laughs> I think. guess that's all that matters, yeah, where the Packers want to play. Um, I mean, maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's, that, that would be interesting, but um, – I mean, he's like the Packers are up there. He's not going to start his safety. That's for that's for certain. Well, they made it. I mean, they I, obviously he obviously did had issues. He only played 102 snaps on defense last yeah. last season. Shannon Sullivan played 378. So they there they clearly go. had a preference. Right. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, I think Sullivan's the guy, unless either Jackson or Holman, who all three of us kind of like a little bit, um, if he proves that he's deserves to be on the field at times I don't think he's a slot guy though. I think he's definitely an outside guy and I think they could put him at one outside spot and move Alexander who I think would be unbelievable oh, yeah. in the slot yeah. um, so really I think the battle isn't the battle is is Holman better outside than Sullivan is inside I think that's what it's going to come, come down to That'd be a huge win. He's six feet, one ninety six. He definitely fits the profile. I mean, Kevin King is tall for a corner. He's six three. But if Holman can do it, I, you know, I, I think that would be another good case scenario. And Paul, and I know again, you, I, well, it's, it's, it's good depth, no matter how you look. How you know, if, if they're all playing well, there's, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of good corners. No, well, corners is a position you can never have too many of. But Paul, we've talked about Kadar before. I think we're, I think we're officially the three of us, the Kadar Holman fan club. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think Sullivan, though, like you guys have said, he's the clubhouse leader for the spot right now. Um, you know, Hall, Hallman's better off outside, as is King. I think Jair would do excellent inside. However, for me to feel confident about him playing there consistently, and I think we'll see him there this year, but for him to be there consistently, um, as much as I love Kadar Holman, I'm going to need to see a lot from him um, early on for me to feel comfortable with that. Because if Alexander goes inside, I guess I'm assuming that King's going to take over um, the opponent's number one receiver. And I just feel much more comfortable with Jair in that position, King on the two, or rotating um, around with Holman, however that ends up working out. But I'm going to need to see something from another out wide corner before I'm uh, before I'm comfortable with Jair taking those inside snaps. So that's why I think Sullivan's going to be that guy. He, no matter how you really look at it, whichever statue you use, he was, he was elite last year when he was on the field. Now it's a very small sample size. And that's the big question mark coming into this year. 
if he does have that role, he's on the field more. Defenses, you know, they're preparing for him more. Just a larger sample size. Can he, you know, he's likely not going to duplicate that same level of production, but can he be effective? And that's what we need to see this season because, like you said, who's he, who's he going up against? I mean, at this point, I'm not going to put, you know, much, much, uh, I guess, hope or trust into Josh Jackson just based on what we've seen. I hope, obviously hope that, you know, he takes a step forward. However, that remains to be seen. So I think it's it's his for the take and Shannon Sullivan's. Yeah, I would hope so. And again, quality depth, it's it's a good gonna be a good battle. If somebody steps up and really starts to push him, that's especially given the names that he's mostly going up against, that's a really good thing. But this also leads into a good kind of a thought for future seasons where corners, it's almost like, you know, there are certain positions in the draft that you almost have to kind of take one of every season just because they're so important. And corner would seem like one of those, those positions. Obviously we have yet to see what they're going to do with Kevin King. And if they don't bring him back, I think, I think Sullivan is actually up for a new deal. I think this is the last year he's under a controllable contract, and then he's actually got enough accrued seasons that he can become an unrestricted free agent. So they may have two corners that they have to address this, this next season, and then do they do that in the draft? Do they have enough money? We don't know what the salary cap's going to look like. So this, this could end up becoming more interesting than it currently sits at the outset, I guess. Yeah, it's. I mean, they've sunk so much, you know, top draft capital into that position over the years. Quentin Rollins, Demarius Randall, Jackson King, Alexander, you know. And there's a very real possibility that come next April, they're going to have to do that again. If King, you know, duplicates last season and or improves off of last season, I think he's going to be out of their price range, you know. And then there's just a lot of young guys behind him. Obviously, the hope and the plan is that the Kadar Holman, Shannon Sullivan, you know, guys like that step up. So, you know, next man up if King does go. But there's also the possibility that we just don't know and King could be gone and then all of a sudden the Packers are spending, you know, another top 50, top 100 pick on the cornerback position. Right. Right. Which, if you're going to if you're gonna take a corner, I mean, you know, you, they've got other things they might have to address, but you're going to want to, if you want an impact guy, and especially if Kevin King isn't back, I hope they're not, they're not taking any corners below that and expecting them to just turn into something that isn't necessarily fair to expect them to be so i mean defensive wise i mean there's there's some good battles here i mean this was a this was a good group of battles to watch out for and the the big thing for me because i listen to a lot of shows i listen to andrew brant's the business of sports and it sounds like there's still some things to be figured out with regards to the season starting and you know, I used to used to be so far away. I mean, this whole this whole thing that we're currently dealing with in in the world right now started for us in what mid March, and it just seemed like training camp was like eons away. And now it's a couple weeks away. That that means that the season starting is two months away. That's only eight weeks to figure out everything that's that's going to happen, including. Our fans going to be able to attend games. How are fans going to be able to attend games? Who gets to attend games? Who doesn't? All that other kind of stuff. So it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, I say as my token line, we'll talk next week, and maybe by the time next week rolls around, there will be something else that will hit that was worth talking about. I mean, I guess the one thing I could have started out with as far as news is that I think we were talking before the show starts, there's only one draft pick left to sign, and that's 
third rounder Josiah Deguara. Everyone else, Kamal Martin and Jake Hansen signed their deals. Everybody else is signed. So, is anybody worried that Deguara is going to hold out? No, no I hope not. <laughs> It'd be a bold move. Yeah, bold you know, move. One thing, um, Jason, just to add to what you were saying about, you know, it was you know back in March. It was like there was so much time. Um, Murphy was was quoted this week. Um, I forget by by whom, but um, I think it was a national writer. Him saying that, you know, saying almost exactly what you just said that, you know, when this all started, you know, we were, were the NHL and, and, and NBA were were going on, and, and and they had to suspend operations, and and baseball was in spring training, and they had to stop, and you know. We were in our off seasons. We we had our draft as planned. We did free agency as planned, and we were like, okay, we'll, we'll be. He, and I think the the great quote he said was, "Now time isn't on our side anymore." Mm-hmm. I mean, football had all this time to. It didn't affect them really. Like I said, you know, like he said, the the draft went. It was a different style of draft, but I don't think anything would have been any differently if it, if, if there wasn't. A COVID nineteen, you know, I think the Packers would have still taken Jordan Love in the first round, no matter what, you know. Um, and free agency went as planned. I think, you know, um, they, they, I don't think anything was different. So, but now it's hitting football. You know, how are they? Like you said, how are they going to? Is there going to be a preseason? They've already cut it down from four games to two games, and the players want no games. I don't think I. I kind of think there's not going to be a preseason. Well, if, if no preseason is – if the expense or if the res, the other side of not having any preseason games is that the regular season is less interrupted, then obviously I'm all for it. Right. Because preseason, you know, I mean, it, you need you need reps and you need to see how your rookies look and all that kind of stuff. But if, you're, if, you, if you told me that if they give up preseason games, they don't play any of them, but they'll, that'll, they'll be able to play 16 games, then – I don't think I'd have any issue with it. I mean, Paul, do you do you feel differently? No, I, I agree with what you guys have had to say, and you know, it's you know, usually I'm not that big of a, a preseason guy. To just you know, I just cross my fingers, hoping no one gets hurt. But now I just want to see Jordan Love play, and now we might not have preseason. So I'm never going moving forward. I'm never going to be upset about preseason games again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, well, it's been a fun one. And we'll do this again in another week. Like I said, we'll have another week to see if anything goes down, or if not, we'll have another fun topic for everybody. So, well, before I guess before I sign off, let's go around the horn here. Paul, Dairyland Express, Cheesehead TV, what's on tap for this week? Just uh, previewing training camp, and then you can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel, B-R-E-T-L. Awesome. And then Mark over Packer Report? I'm actually, it's funny, uh, my story for Monday is going to be about some training camp you know, battles to watch in training camp. And then uh, later in the week, my series will continue with um, the best Packers to wear the numbers in the 80s. So I'll be able to get some of those wide receivers that used to wear number 80s in there. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. A fun one, no doubt. All right, well, everybody stay safe, stay cool, enjoy the summer wherever you're at. We'll be back in one more week. And as always, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.